Good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church Sunday morning gathering. I'm excited to see all of you here today. It's a great day to be here because, after all, it is the Lord's Day. Um, I say that knowing that every day is the Lord's Day, but most importantly, He specifically set aside a time where the body of Christ, the believers that belong to Him, would come together, would unite under the Word of God, under the reading of Scriptures, through the singing of hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, through the taking up of offering, through the taking of communion, through worship. They'd be united together and they would be of one heart and one mind and one spirit on a weekly and regular basis. This is something that is beautiful that God has designed, and I'm glad uh, that you are taking part, that you are receiving a part of this blessing that God has given the church. It's important not only because I love to see you, but because I think we honor God when we honor this day in worship. Um, If you would, sort of go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to be back in the book of Exodus. For those who haven't been here before or haven't been here in a while, we are Uh, We're a church who goes book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, with the exception of a few times uh, throughout the year. And so right now, uh, we are in the book of Exodus. Exodus, and we're in chapter 7 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. And our overall sort of idea in the book of Exodus is a journey of deliverance. And today, we're going to see a journey of deliverance, the power of God displayed through Moses. Last week we looked at the lineage of Aaron and Moses and we found out yet again more characteristics of the people that God uses. What we have found in Exodus and we'll find in the future is that God uses all types of people with all types of backgrounds, all types of hang-ups and quirks. And at times, really the bigger the hang-ups and quirks, the better. Um, but all types of hang-ups and quirks, all types of inability, he uses all types of people to show more mightily his power. Truly, we're about to see just this, the power of God displayed through imperfect, unusable, unlikely people. Exodus 7 starts a new literary section of the Exodus journey. In the first six chapters, Uh, We focus more on the deliverer himself. Exodus 7 starts to look into God's power in this work of redemption. To this point, the conflict has been sort of a war of words. It has been a war of words between uh, the timid and ill-equipped Moses as he has gone back and forth with God, as he has gone back and forth with Pharaoh and even his own people. And the next section, as opposed to being a war of words, will be marked by the action of God. The timid and ill-equipped Moses has gone away. A new Moses who trusts in the power of God and is used by the power of God has come into the picture. Exodus 7 and, and on is going to be marked by action. Of course, we know that Exodus 7 is sort of the preliminary. It's the introduction to the, the plagues. 
And Justin says that I say that wrong, so if it bothers you or if it's going to bother you now that I pointed it out, I'm sorry. I say it like a southern boy would probably say it, I think. Let's read together Exodus 7, Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know this is um, to, pr- to point this to you out, out to you, and I'll point it out again several times. This is Pharaoh's answer, by the way. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? This is Pharaoh's answer. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when the Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you will say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pray with me this morning. God, you are good, and you demonstrate your power, Lord just as effectively, just as efficiently, just as perfectly in the lives of believers today as you did in the lives of Moses and the Israelite people of that day. Lord, you are good to, t- to stay consistent in your power, in your authority, in your wisdom. And we trust in that. We hope in that as you display your power through us. Lord, vessels who are ill-equipped, who are ill-prepared, who are unworthy, but yet you demonstrate your power through us. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have surely focused on one thing more than any other thing to this point in our walk through Exodus, and that is how God uses people to accomplish his will. We've had three specific ter- uh, sermons on the, the type of people or the characteristics of people that God uses, with many of our other sermons sort of secondarily pointing to the fact that God uses people to accomplish His will. Now, something else we have done and we increase in as we, as we look at Exodus, we increase to see how the people of God are used, 
is we're going to see now with what force God uses these people. With what dynamic power are these people being used? We see now through God, uh, how God uses Moses in the life of Pharaoh. We see, or we're going to see Moses go to Pharaoh in boldness. He confronts Pharaoh with the word of the Lord. Moses is approaching Pharaoh with a controversial and starkly opposite view that Pharaoh holds. A view that will again put Moses at the forefront of controversy and strife. A view that will certainly not gain Moses many friends. Ultimately, what we find is Mo- in Moses is the power of God displayed. The power of God through the Word of God that for some, like Pharaoh, is a fragrance of death upon death. But to many, the power of God through the words of God is a fragrance of life unto life. Nonetheless, the motives and actions of Moses were led by the power of the Word of God. Friends, as a church, we have an obligation to live our life in such a way that no matter the results of our words, no matter the results of our gospel proclamation, I'm not talking about being jerks, obviously. I know that's a disclaimer that I sort of have to put because if you're like me, you sort of tend to be more more harsh in the way you say things and more straightforward. So you need to be conscientious of that, obviously. But we have the responsibility as a church to live our lives like Moses is now demonstrating. And to a degree, we will live our lives like Moses in constant conflict because the words we give will be to some life unto life and even will cause conflict amongst Christians. But to many... The Bible says that wide is the gate that leads to destruction. To many, it will be death upon death. And so as a Christian, like Moses has done in his life, you have to expect to lead much of your life, if you are going to be a gospel proclaimer, if you will proclaim the gospel with the power of God, you will live much of your life in conflict. You will live much of your life in opposition. But like Moses, we cannot keep silent. We must proclaim the gospel in power. We must proclaim the gospel in truth. And that is both in deed and also by the words of our mouth. A.B. Simpson said, The chief danger of the church today is that it is trying to get on the same side as the world instead of turning the world upside down. Our master expects us to accomplish results even if they bring opposition and conflict. Anything is better then compromise, apathy, and paralysis. God, give to us an intense cry for the old-time power of the gospel and the Holy Ghost. Ultimately, Moses demonstrates how to proclaim godly, timely truth, even if the results bring controversy, even if the results bring opposition. In doing so, he demonstrates God's power in accomplishing his own will, God's power in proclaiming his word and doing what he said he will do. We can be used in the same way, friends. God can use us to demonstrate his power on this earth. And I think how God demonstrates his power in Moses gives us today four practical ways that God demonstrates his power in us. And that's what we're going to look at today. 
God demonstrates his power in Moses, and it gives us four practical ways that we can see God demonstrate his power in us. The first is this. Through Moses, we see God's power in the authority to speak our faith. Four practical ways that God demonstrates his power through Moses' faith. Through Moses, we see God's power in the authority to speak our faith. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. We have an interesting choice of words that the Lord uses for Moses. He tells Moses that he will be like a God to Pharaoh. At first glance, it sort of seems strange, but I think some explanation might help point to some practical points for us. Obviously, the Lord wasn't saying to Moses, Moses, you are going to be God. Moses, I'm going to sort of transfer my deity over to you, and I'm going to let you do these things. You, you go ahead and take it. This is not some sort of Bruce Almighty sort of happening that is happening in the life of Moses. Well, you think you can do it better? Here you go, Moses. Here's the power. That's not what is happening. He was not trying to imply that the miracles or the works of the Lord will be done by the power of Moses. Instead, the Lord is informing Moses that he was going to be a vessel or a representative of God. So much so that when Pharaoh saw Moses, he saw God. I could stop there. I could stop there, and that would be enough practical application for us. But I'm not going to, so here we go. He was not trying to imply that the miracles were going to come by the power of Moses. But Moses was going to be a vessel and a representative, a finite person to fulfill the work of the infinite, a regular human fulfilling the divine work of the Lord. God gave Moses the authority to be a vessel or a conduit for his power. We talk so much about responsibility to share the gospel or our calling to share the gospel. We talk about, uh, sometimes people talk about it as a burden. But something we don't talk about enough is the authority to speak the gospel. God gave this authority to Moses. He later gave this authority to other prophets over time and then to Jesus. And Jesus, when he left the earth, he gave the authority to the apostles. And guess what, friends? The authority was passed from the apostles to the church. And since the apostles, it has been the authority of the church to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and prophetically. This is vastly important, friends, and it must be understood. The gift, of, the gift of prophetic word does not belong to one person or a few people. Now, I will concede to you that some people have a, a, a gift of prophecy, and this is what I mean by this. Some people have a gift to examine the culture, to examine the times, and to examine the word of God and preach how that applies to everyone more uh, aptly or proficiently th than others. But I will let let you know, friends, that the, the gift of prophecy was passed from the apostles, not just to a few men, but to the church, to proclaim the gospel 
To proclaim in a prophetic way the gospel is the gift of the church. I would assert to you that every believer that has lived after the apostles has been given the, has been given the authority of the prophetic word of God. Now you're probably, if, if you don't understand what I'm saying, if you have a misunderstanding of prophecy, you're probably thinking, well, if I've been given the gift of prophecy, why haven't I been playing the lottery this whole time? Or why haven't I been going to the casinos? Because I need to use this for some other uh, sort of extrinsic benefits. Well, I want to tell you, friends, the reason that you aren't just sitting here, you know, uh, with your eyes closed or like the blind man in most movies you see giving prophetic words of God is because the gift of prophecy after Jesus changed. I believe that the gift of prophecy after Jesus changed. When Jesus came, he was the final prophet of his kind. Jesus was the last of the prophets like the Old Testament prophets. How do, you know, how do I know that it changed? Because all of those prophets before Christ were heralding the people of God to turn to God. They were heralding the people of God to turn to God. Their voice was somewhat, albeit temporary, but it was powerful. It was a tool of drawing people to God. When Jesus came, he was the last prophet because God and God came and set his dwelling among men. Jesus was the last herald of God and he was God himself who heralded the coming of God. Jesus Prophecy has changed, friends, because of the finality of redemption. Because of the finality of the redemption that happened in Christ. No longer do we need men or women or anyone else proclaiming for people to come back to God in the way of the Old Testament prophets. Because we have the words of Christ. We have the Holy Scriptures. We have a definitive and objective way of knowing God because He dwelt among us. Prophecy is different than it was in the Old Testament times. Jesus became the final fork in the road. Like Joshua, who I believe was a, a, a great, who acted in a sense of a prophet for his people. Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve, whether it was the God you served across the river or the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus was the final fork in the road. And we have the scripture to, put, uh, to point us back to the truth. So prophecy after Christ is simply this. It's the ability to read the scriptures, to understand the scriptures, and uh, uh, relate the scriptures verbally to the saved and to the lost. All of God's people after Jesus are prophets in this manner. If you want to know what it's called amongst evangelical circles, it's called the priesthood of believers. This is the day Moses longed for, friends. I'm not preaching you something new. I'm not preaching you something different. This is the day Moses longed for. Moses in Numbers 11.25 said he longed for a day where God would pour out his spirit and his people would all prophesy. All of his people would prophesy. And then it was fulfilled in Acts 2.18 where the spirit of God was poured out on the people, on the church, and even the bond servants, the men and women bond servants, prophesied. Now, I'm not denying that God calls some people to specific offices within the church. I'm not denying that some people have the gift of this, this gift of prophecy 
more sharply honed in than others. But I am denying the lie of the prosperity gospel or any other movement that puts the authority of prophecy in the hands of a small number of individuals. When the Bible clearly states that because of Jesus, prophecy will be a function of the church and not a function of a few. Friends, we can stop looking at our gospel proclamation as a responsibility or as a burden or even just as a gift and we can turn our minds to know that God has given us the authority to speak truth in people's lives, to speak prophetic words into people's lives, and that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes through people who have surrendered to the calling of Jesus Christ, who are being changed daily by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, and speak boldly through that same Spirit. I truly believe, friends, and you need to know this, that salvation comes through God alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that it is a work of the Holy Spirit and redemption that regenerates a heart that gives new life. But I also believe this because Romans says it, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. God is willing and more than able to use us as a vessel to bring prophetic word to His people. God is more than willing, and He has given us the authority to use us as a vessel, no matter how marred, no matter how old, no matter how broken, to give a prophetic word to the lost and to the saved. We have the authority to boldly proclaim our faith because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We also see the power of God demonstrated in other ways. And this is the second thing I want you to look at today from our story. Through Moses, we see God's power in the witness of our faith. Not only the authority of our faith, but the witness of our faith. Look at verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now we see from Moses that we have the power of God in the witness of our faith. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, not only does God give us the authority to speak into people's lives, but God gives us boldness and the power to speak truth regardless of the results. This is a funny exchange if you think about it. Again, the Lord, Moses comes back to the Lord after being rejected by the people of Israel, after being rejected by Pharaoh. And, Moses, and the Lord says to Moses, Moses, you're going to go and you're going to speak again to Pharaoh. And at this point, Mo, you, Moses has gotten a little more bold and he's a little more trusting. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll do it this time. And the Lord then says to Moses, and he will reject you again. And then Moses is like, what, what exactly are we trying to accomplish by this, Lord? What exactly are we trying to accomplish by this? Can you imagine the frustration that Moses must have felt? Remember, Moses is a literal human being that lived in a literal time in history. He was just like you and I. Can you imagine the frustration Moses must have felt? I'm going to have you preach to Pharaoh, you will get an undesired result. I'm going to have you preach to the people of Israel, and because of what Pharaoh's done, you'll get an undesired result. I'm going to have you go back to Pharaoh, and you'll get an undesired result. And I'm probably going to have you go back again, and you'll get an undesired result. I feel like I've had some bosses like this in the past that have may have gone to the Pharaoh's school for leadership development. 
You've probably had somebody like that in your life, probably had a boss like that in your life where you, you speak truth or you speak a reality into their life and, and, and they don't listen. Sooner or later, what happens? You just stop speaking truth into their life. You just go to someone else who might listen. But this is not what Moses does. The Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh first as a means of grace but also as a means of greater judgment. The Lord sends Moses back to Pharaoh, knowing that Pharaoh had hardened his heart and God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh would not listen. We might tend to think of Moses' witness as powerless because Moses witnessed with great might, but he did not get the result that he desired. But there is power in the witness of Moses, and the same can be true in our witness today. I want to point out a few things from this as, as it concerns the power in the witness of Moses that you may not have seen or you may not understand or you may disagree with me on, but it's okay. Everyone has the right to disagree. I think you're just going to be wrong on this one. I want to give you a few practical thoughts about the power of God in the witness of Moses and our witness. The first is this. Our witness has power regardless of the results. This is something you may have heard me say before, but our witness has power regardless of the results. Whether or not someone listens or is saved is inconsequential to the power of the witness, to the power of the message. Friends, as hard as it may seem to comprehend, it is not your responsibility to share the gospel with the whole world in, attempt, in an attempt to save the whole world. Our goal in gospel proclamation is not to save everyone, but our goal in gospel proclamation is to proclaim the gospel so that those who believe or who will believe will be saved. The natural result of that means that people we share the gospel with will reject what we say. Our goal is not to save the world, but to preach the gospel for those who will repent and believe. Now, strangely enough, friends, the only way to share the gospel to God's elect is to share the gospel to the whole world. So as Christians, we're going to take a few L's. As Christians, we're going to take a few losses. We're going to share the gospel, I believe, with, much, with many more people who will say no than who will say yes. We're going we're to share the gospel with people that we love and people who seem like they're almost just right there. And we'll say no as opposed to saying yes. But that does not change the effectiveness of our message or the effectiveness of our witness. And this can be seen primarily in the next two thoughts under that. The gospel never returns void. Regardless of the results, it does not affect, it does not change the powerful witness. It does not change the effectiveness of our witness because we know that the gospel does not return void. Now, we misrepresent this idea, and I hope to correct that for you today. Usually, we think that this idea of the gospel not returning void will mean that the gospel will produce uh, saving or at least positive results. However, this is not what this means at all. This does not mean, if you, when, you, when you say, when you preach the gospel, someone says, someone says, the gospel will not return void. That does not mean that you've planted a saving seed in their life or you've planted a seed that will produce positive results. Here's what it means. The gospel return, will not return void means that the powerful gospel witness will get the desired results that God has for it. So the gospel not returning void means this. When the gospel is proclaimed, God uses it effectively to condemn or to save 
and therefore the desired result is produced, and the gospel has not been, is not void. Meaning that everyone who hears the gospel falls into one of those categories. The gospel condemns some to hell, and therefore it did not return void. The gospel is received by others who repent and believe in the works and words of Jesus Christ, and it does not return void because it is effective to produce saving faith. Ultimately, the powerful witness of our faith is always effective. It always gets the intended result. Moses seemed like he had failed because Pharaoh did not listen, but the word of God did not return void. God, God's word got the exact desired result that it was trying to produce in Pharaoh, and God was glorified. And the last reason our witness is powerful is because God wins in the end. God wins in the end. Just because we don't get the desired result does not take away from the powerful nature of our witness. Just because the gospel um, um, comes back a negative result does not mean it turns back void. We know that we have power in our witness Again, because the gospel, or because God wins in the end. This is the sentiment of Philippians 2, 9 through 11, which you've heard me and others say a thousand times. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our gospel witness is powerful because God wins in the end. We may live the rest of our lives, friends, on the wrong side of history, but the truth is that, God, that the God of the past, present, and future will wipe away any and all history. Christian, you and some of your family over the next two generations may live in America that is more fearful, I mean physically, and legally harmful to Christians. But can I tell you something wonderful? They can blot Christians out of history books. And they can close the doors of your businesses and your church buildings. They can ruin your life. They can take your life, but they can't touch heaven. They can't take Jesus from his throne. They can't remove the gospel from the world. And they can't stop the return of Christ, which will usher in a judgment like no other. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gospel is effective because in the end, every knee will bow that Jesus, and confess that Jesus is Lord. Some will say, you are the Lord of my wrath. And some will say, you are the Lord of my life. But the gospel is still effective to get that result in the end. Friends, the power of our witness is seen so truly regardless of the results of our witness. Because the gospel never returns void and Jesus wins in the end. Through Moses we see the power and the authority of our faith and the witness of our faith. We see the power and the capability of our faith. I won't stay on these points for for very long, but I want to point out two things that are obvious to me from this, and this is sort of point three and four, Moses gained a level of boldness that is great to see. It's awesome to see that eventually Moses was not hindered by his ability or inability. Moses at this point feels capable, uh, or at least as capable as he possibly can, to accomplish the will of the Lord. How do we know this? How do we know that Moses now feels capable to accomplish the will of the Lord? Verse six says, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. 
Moses had much against him. He was a stutterer. He was a little shy. He had already been rejected once by Pharaoh, and he was rejected by his own people. We are reminded here of another thing that was against Moses. Moses was an old dude. He was 80 years old. Aaron was 83. Now you say, well, they lived a lot longer back in that day. That wasn't very old. This was old. After all, remember, it was Moses in, in Psalm 90 said, Lord, teach me to number my days. Man is given 70 years and with strength is given 80 years. Moses' life expectancy was 80 years, 70 to 80 years. Moses was an old man. Now we know Moses lived another 40 years and that was to accomplish the will of the Lord or around 40 years and that was to accomplish the will of the Lord. But another thing, other than the stuttering, other than the shyness, other than the fact that he'd been rejected by Pharaoh and rejected by the people of Israel and then rejected by Pharaoh again, Moses was an old dude. Friends, can I tell you something that is awesome? If you are in Christ, you are capable, regardless of all of the circumstances that surround you, that tell you you are not capable. The power that we have in Christ shows us that we are capable through Him. Now, how do we know this applies to our lives? It's so simple, yet so difficult to grasp, sort of, in our lives. But Moses shows us here. How do we know that we are capable? How do we know that Moses thought he was capable? We know that Moses thought he was capable because the words of God took effect in his life. He started believing the word of God. He started believing the word of God. We see Moses let the word of God take hold and he, compl- he transferred his complete trust to the Lord. Now what does that tell us? It tells us that we must let the gospel take full effect in order to even somewhat seem capable to do the gospel work of the Lord. Friends, you become capable by letting the gospel take full effect. There, I've doubted in my life over many years if I was a Christian. Different, not over many years, but through the years, I've doubted many times whether or not I was a Christian. Through the years, I've thought, well, I, there's no way I could be a Christian if I, did, if I do this. And if I'm a Christian, why wouldn't I do this more? Or, or why do I do this uh, not as often as I should? There are many times that I've doubted. Now, as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've gotten older, my doubts have gotten a lot less. But one of the things, and there are many because I've talked to you about them through time, but one of the things that has helped me to know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life is my understanding and my sort of trust and my allowance of the gospel to take full effect in my life. One of the ways that I know for sure that Jesus Christ lives in my life is because the gospel is effective in my life. Here's how that plays out. Friends, you need to know this. I believe with all my heart that if I give everything in a biblical manner to being a husband, that because of the power of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, that I will be the husband that I'm supposed to be. I believe that. Now, my wife can attest to you that I'm not always the husband that I'm supposed to be. You may be able to attest to me and others that I'm not always the husband that I'm supposed to be by witnessing my relationship with my wife. But can I tell you, friends, it doesn't make me stop believing that the gospel has the power and the full effect to continue to change me into the image of Jesus Christ, to be more like Jesus, to be an effective husband. I believe that the gospel makes me capable. I believe the gospel makes me a good 
pastor. Not because you said I'm a good pastor. Not because I think I'm a good pastor. Not because my knowledge of biblical or spiritual things. Not because my experience. But because I believe that if I give my heart to Jesus Christ and I believe and I trust in the gospel, that the end result is a pastor who is effective for the kingdom of God. Not because I believe I'm good or because I believe I have any gift that makes me better than anyone else. Friends, this goes through every area of my life and it can go through the areas of your life. One of the ways I know I'm a Christian is because the gospel takes full effect. And it did in Moses. The word of God did in Moses. And it gave him the boldness and the willingness to do what God had said. Listen, I don't I know that some of my children might end up hellions because they are, after all, my children. But I believe, I believe and I trust in the gospel. And I believe that if I discipline in a, in a way that is biblical, I believe that if I, reproof and, if I show reproof and correction, if I train them up in righteousness, I believe because of the power of the gospel and the effect of the gospel that my children will grow up loving Jesus. I believe that with my, it may not happen with every one of my children. I, it, it, is my, it is my most urgent prayer that it does. It may not happen with every one of my children, but I believe it will. I believe it will because I believe the gospel. I believe the words of God. This goes into my job. This goes in with friends. This goes in with other family. This goes in the way I share the gospel. I believe that every person that I share the gospel with can be and might be saved. Now that might not happen. But I believe it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't make the gospel less effective. Because the gospel never returns void. Moses believed, regardless of all of his surrounding uh, sort of incapabilities, Moses believed that because the words of God told him he was capable, that he was capable. And friends, that is what the gospel does for us. The gospel through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit tells us we are capable to fulfill his work. And his work is being a father and a mother, a church partner. His work is being a good employee or a good boss. His work is being a gospel proclaimer. His work is being a friend. And we can believe that we can be effective in his work because the gospel tells us we will if we believe and trust in Jesus. We know this because we've seen it in verses like we find in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives and works in us. It doesn't mean that everything will go perfectly or just as planned, but it does mean that through Jesus, I can believe and trust that it's going exactly according to his plan and to his purpose and his will. That through him and him alone, I am capable to navigate and able to navigate this world, not just as a human, but as a Bible-believing and God-fearing follower of Jesus Christ. The power of God gives us authority to speak. It gives us a power, powerful witness. It gives us a capable faith. And it gives us effective faith. Through Moses, we see God's power in the effectiveness of our faith. I just want to briefly go over the end of this story with you. At the end of this story, we see Moses and Moses and Aaron are back before Pharaoh. And, and Moses says, hey, Aaron, um, the Lord has commanded us to throw down this staff, and it will be a serpent. 
And because uh, Pharaoh's going to ask us to show something miraculous. So Moses says, Aaron, throw down the staff. And Aaron throws down the staff and it becomes a serpent, likely a cobra. That's, it's a, it's serpent either means alligator or it means venomous snake. And we're going to take venomous snake here, and here's why. Because the symbol for the deity and the authority and the power of Pharaoh was a snake. Think about it. Every time you see the headdress, the most popular Egyptian headdress, what do you think about it? It's that whatever, and on the top of it is what? It's a cobra, or it looks like a cobra. The symbol and the authority and the power that was found in Pharaoh was found in that snake. So Aaron cast the rod the staff on the ground, and it becomes a cobra. Well, Pharaoh says, that's easy. I can do that. So he gathers probably a a great number of people. You know, in my mind, it's like for some reason it comes in threes. In my mind, I see like Aaron throws down the staff, and then like two or three people come out, and they throw down a staff. It's probably more than that. It's probably, I mean, he says he gathers the magicians. He gathers the wise men. It's probably more than three people. He gathers a horde of people. And they throw down their rod, and they also become serpents. What happens? Of course, Aaron's serpent was just not any serpent. It was God's demonstration of his power over Pharaoh. And so the serpent swallows up the serpents of the magicians and the wise men of Pharaoh. Pharaoh must, it must have been done this way so Pharaoh's power could be shown as illegitimate compared to the Lord. It must have been done this way so that God could show his rule and his reign over not just Pharaoh, but all of Egypt and all of the world. Friends, again, the word swallowed up is going to be used as God's final show of power over the Egyptians. The Bible says that all of Pharaoh's power was swallowed up in the Red Sea. It was swallowed up. The same word for the staff of Aaron swallowing up the staff of the wise men and the sorcerers of Egypt swallowed up is used to show that God's final power over Egypt swallowed up all of the power of Pharaoh. Friends, I want to tell you Your faith, because of the power of God, is effective. Often there will seem like great numbers against you, especially as we go to a time where cultural, or we're in it, and we're getting even deeper into it, where cultural Christianity is not the norm. Where more people will, it'll be easier for more people to join the side of the non-Christian, of the atheist, of the uh, agnostic, or whatever it may be. There will seem like there's countless numbers against you and your faith. There were greater numbers against Moses and Aaron. But God only needed one to swallow up all the power of the Egyptians. Oftentimes, these people, these great numbers, will seem like they have equal power or even greater power than you. Oftentimes, it will appear that you will not be able to overcome. But friends, there is effectiveness in the power of of God. This reminds me of right now there's a march for science going on. And really what the people of the march for science believe is that they are it's really a, an attack on Christianity. Because the biggest misnomer, the biggest straw man 
for, for the science field against Christians is that Christians don't believe in science. Christians don't believe in science, which is odd because a Christian is the one that says that scientifically speaking, if a man is a man, he's a man, and if a woman's a woman, she's a woman. If a woman is a woman, she's a woman. Scientifically, Christians know and have looked at the science more than what we knew about Roe versus Wade and can see that babies have heartbeats, that babies have blood in, 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 the, in the womb. As early as just a few weeks, that babies, ha- that babies feel pain, that babies respond to voices. This is what science tells us, but Christians are anti-science. The world will tell you that as a Christian, you are anti-science and anti-reason. And they will throw down their staffs and they'll say, look at all the scientists who have just proven the theory of evolution. Look at all the scientists who say and the psychologists who say that um, gender and sex are two different things. Look at all the proof, Christian. You are anti-science. Friends, I will tell you, the staff of God will be thrown down and the power of God will swallow up any of this faux science nonsense. It may not happen this side of history, but we know that it will happen. You will hear, Christian, that you are anti-love or you are anti-choice. You will hear that to speak the truth of the Bible is hate speech. Can I tell you, they will throw many staffs down, many rods down in your way to try to get you to sway, to try to get you to change, to try to calm your voice or to eliminate it altogether. But it cannot shake us, friends, because the power of God through the Holy Spirit and the gospel is stronger, it's more powerful, and it's more enduring than anything this world has ever produced. Themes, history, um, social justices, although I think we should be people who are just and pursue justice, social justice, action, ideologies, they've all gone and passed away. The Word of God has endured for thousands of years and not one single dot, not one single iota will pass away until Jesus returns. Friends, we have power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when we share the gospel, even when we are being a gospel proclaimer and those words don't produce the desired result, the gospel is still effective. And what we find in the end is that the power of God will swallow up the power of all of his enemies in one final judgment. And we will live and we will reign with God now and forever. Will you pray with me today? Father, we love you. God, we have the ability to love you because you first loved us. We thank you that you care for us, that you watch over us, that you are good to us. Lord, would you help us to follow you in spirit and in truth? Would you help us to believe the gospel, to let it have its full effect on us, 
to trust you, Lord, trust you enough to know that we can be parents that are God-honoring because of the power of the gospel. We can be gospel proclaimers and gospel witnesses because of the power of the gospel. We can be husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers. Lord, we can be friends. We can be workers and co-workers and bosses because of the power of the gospel, because of its effectiveness, Lord. God, would you help us to surrender to Jesus Christ? Would you help us to surrender to his will, to repent and believe this gospel, to trust in you? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.